0: Good morning, today we're going to be reading from Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 11, and in the Pew Bible, it's page 398. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Shizlev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hineni one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which has sinned against you even I and my father's house have sinned we have not acted very we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments the statutes and rules that you have commanded your servant Moses remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying if you are unfaithful i will scatter you among the peoples but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven from there i will gather them and bring them to the place that i have chosen to make my name dwell there they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand o lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight and fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Thank you.
1: It's an amazing passage. Let's pray before we dive into it together. So that we don't look at it with our own eyes, but allow God to give us eyes to see what he would have us see in this chapter. So, Father, we come to you right now and ask that you would help us to see your truth and how it intersects with our lives. This isn't just some ancient text, some old literature that was written thousands of years ago and just has nothing to do with us today. It has everything to do with us today because this is not a passage about an ancient people. This is a passage about a living God. Who lives and works today, and we ask that you would use it to show us how to live for you now. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever had that gut-wrenching, hollowed-out feeling when you when you feel devastated, when you come back to your house and you've been robbed? When you come back to your house and it's been ravaged by fire and there's nothing but carbon frame left. After a hurricane hits and you see the the city and how it is. After an earthquake destroys a county. That feeling of loss, that feeling of devastation, that feeling of, wow, how can we ever recover from this? There's a moment in time that the Lord wants each of us to come to where we feel that way spiritually. Where we come to our senses at some point and we look around us and we go, my life is in shambles. My marriage is not what it was supposed to be. My relationship with my kids, I swore I'd be better than my dad, but there's other problems. And, you know, at work it's tough and it... You go to the bookstore and you look at. It, you can look at the Christian section, non-Christian sections. It's, it's all pointing at that same thing. Like, we know your life is a mess. Read this book and have uh, a better you and be a better yourself and how to achieve your dreams. And okay, it's this constant push to make things better. But we always feel that pull inside, don't we, that we can't make it better. Nehemiah 1, I think, is here to, to touch exactly that point. The story of Nehemiah is a story of rebuilding Jerusalem. They've been exiled, that means they were kicked out, and they felt devastated. Not spiritually, they looked around, and they were physically removed from their place, removed from their homes, removed from Jerusalem, their their city. The walls are crumbled down, The, the gates are torn down and burnt and ransacked. The temple is in pieces. And they feel devastated. Now, Nehemiah is a man that God wants to raise up to rebuild. If you read all 13 chapters of Nehemiah, which we're not going to do today, you see this, Nehemiah comes in and rebuilds everything. It's awesome. But let's read how it starts. It starts with Nehemiah getting some news. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. That's not just a lowly servant who just tastes the king's wine. It tastes pretty good. Here you go. You know, it's... In those times, that was the number two guy. That was a high position, uh, shoulder to shoulder with the king. And But nehemiahs he's a Jewish man serving a non-Jewish king. And he knows that those that were kicked out of Israel are allowed to come back. And hey, rebuilding is going to start. Rebuilding is going to start. I went to New York about a year ago. And I went to ground zero. And I'm like, why is it still ground zero I thought we were, it was kind of uh, disheartening. Well, he gets this news that people come back and says, what's going on over there? Oh, yeah, everything's still in shambles. And Nehemiah's heart dropped. One of his brothers came in with certain men from Judah, and I asked them, he says, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile. I asked them about Jerusalem, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And he has the picture in his mind of this devastation. So what Nehemiah does is he opens up in a word of prayer. He says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah gets this news. And his first response is weeping, fasting, mourning, and he starts praying. Now, these people, I think Nehemiah realizes something, guys, that we we need to realize, and that Israel was missing. And that is that Israel was in a place, yes, there was physical devastation, but that's not what the problem was. The problem was not that walls were broken down. The problem is not that gates were on fire. The problem is not that the city was ransacked. That was a symptom of another disease. That was an exterior effect of something spiritual, and that was not walking with their God. Nehemiah gets it. So his first thing isn't to draw up architectural plans to build walls, which he ends up doing later and leading that. But this first idea isn't, or here's our plan. No no plan. The reason why things are in shambles is because we're not walking with God. That's why things are messed up. Nehemiah gets that. And that's why he prays and takes it to that God. He realized, look, we have permission. All the the governing authorities that kicked us out of Israel, they've given us permission to go back. That's great. And here's what they did. They went back. Let's do this. And he's expecting, well, they're back now. No one's oppressing us anymore. No one's telling us we can't be there anymore. We have the freedom to do it now. Just use our tools and our shovels and our gear and our wheelbarrows. Let's rebuild this thing. And he finds out it's not being rebuilt. Then it dawns on him why. He realizes because even though they've been granted permission to return, they still didn't seek God's blessing to rebuild. So how could they restore God's city if they weren't restored to God? So Nehemiah takes it upon himself to rebuild, and he begins with a prayer for restoration. Look at this prayer. This prayer, this is is an awesome, awesome prayer. He begins in verse 4. Well, he begins praying in verse 4, and the prayer starts in verse 5. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Now, he doesn't start, God, why? Or, God, look! Look! No, God, you are great. God, you are most high. God, you are awesome. There's a sense of like, look, I, we're devastated. And you know what? It's not because you're evil. It's not because you don't care. You are God. You are good. You are great. And he says, not only are you great and awesome, God, you're a God who, what? He, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You're a God who keeps his covenant. You're a God of steadfast love. We don't really use that word too much anymore. Steadfast. I love that word. It's constant. It's consistent. It's there. Close your eyes, open, still there. You know, go to bed, wake up, still there. It's steadfast. It's in your face. It doesn't quit. It's relentless. We serve a relentless God who pours out love, pours out compassion all the time. And he says, he says, this is the God who you are. So he begins his prayer. I say, God, I'm banking on who you are. If I'm going to ask for this request that we start rebuilding the city, it's going to be because of who you are, not because of who we are. If it's because of who we are, there's no reason why you should even hear this prayer. But he's saying, Lord, hear and be attentive to this prayer. Why? Because of who you are. And so he begins by saying, God, I know who you are, what kind of God you are, and I'm banking on that. And then in verse 6 and 7, he, he confesses. He says, look, we haven't held up our end. We, He says, let your ears and your eyes, let your ears be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Listen, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. Up until this point, seemingly, he hasn't gone here. He's kind of sitting in the king's court, feeding this guy wine and expecting God to do something amazing in Jerusalem and still hasn't come to this place where he goes, you know what, we're messed up, right? He hasn't come to that point where he's saying, I, I have the responsibility to come to you, to be to be under you, to be faithful to you. And I haven't done that. My father's house hasn't done that. My people haven't done that. We're a messed up people, God. In contrast to you, who never stops loving, who never stops being faithful, who never stops pursuing his people. I realize, I realize I'm the one, this this is in shambles because of us. And so rather than shaking our fist at God and wondering why, we're recognizing that this is a mess because of what we've done and who we are. In Verse 7, he says, We have acted very corruptly against you. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, I, I've messed up a little bit. You know, there's some things we've done and culturally speaking they were taboo. No, we've been corrupt. And we've not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules. He doesn't say, there's too many commandments. There's too many statutes. Why are there so many rules, God? No, he says, all their statutes, commandments, and rules, I haven't kept them. The rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And then I, this is my favorite part. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're, dis, though you're dispersed beyond the farthest skies, I gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make them, to make my name dwell there. They're your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king. So before he asked the king permission to start this rebuilding program, he, needs, he, need, he knows he needs the real king's permission. That's God. And when he comes to God first, he says, I bank on who you are. I, I'm able to come to you even though I'm all messed up, even though I have all this stuff wrong in my life, even though I've offended you and been corrupt toward you, I know what kind of God you are. You're a kind of God that won't hold that against us. Not only because of the God that you are, but because of what you said. You told Moses, if you obey my commandments, I'll gather you and bring you into the city and protect you and cover you and give you blessings. But if you disobey, then I pick up my hands and go like this, and it's a free-for-all down there. I mean, you told us that, but you said if we repent and come back, you'll bring us back. Even if we're scattered everywhere, you'll bring us back. You said, because of the God that you are, I know that you're a God of your word. You said it, it will be. And so his prayer is showing that the restoration that needs to happen can only happen because it's based on God's faithfulness, not ours. So you and I would normally pray, sometimes we pray, God, look at all this stuff in my life. If we're gracious enough to realize that it's our fault, that things are in shambles, some of it maybe is not our fault, we look at it and we go, wow, people are messed up. We live in a messed up world. Things are wrong in this life. We go, God, here's what I'm going to do to fix it. God, if I start doing this, can you come in and do that? God, I'm going to start living up to this. No, it's based on who God is, not based on what I am. I can't pray a prayer to God and say, God, okay, sorry about that in the past. Now, in 2011, I'm going to do this, and then I just need you to fill in the rest, God. Could you do that? No. God, I'm a messed up, worm, corrupted sinner. And the only thing I have is your faithfulness. I come to you because you're great. And even though my love is always failing, your love is never failing. Even though I'm always messing up, you're never off track. You, I get derailed, but you are the rail. I mean... Returning to God is always based on God's faithfulness to us. If you're the type of Christian or seeker that comes to God and saying, God, I'm going to fix it this time. God, let me get things right and I'll come to you, God. Let me fix my life and then you can change it. You've got it wrong. You don't understand the gospel and you don't understand grace. You don't understand God. God's restoration of you to him is based on him, on his faithfulness, what he can do. You know, this story is not really primarily about walls and city. It's about a relationship between a people and their God. And if you're not really walking with God, your life will be in shambles. For them, it was city and walls because God established that in his relationship with them. You obey me and here's the blessings that you'll get. There were uh, a city that I'll provide for you, a land that I'll provide for you. I'll make the land fertile and I'll make crops come out. And and that, that there was that covenant relationship with them. And when they left God, that was gone. And what God is saying is there's a spiritual core, nugget, central thing that all the walls and the city and crops and all that, it's exterior. But there's something in the middle. It's your relationship with me. That's at the center. If you lose that, then all this stuff, it dissipates. And when it dissipates, it's supposed to make the light bulb come on, like, wait a minute, what's wrong in my life? Oh, maybe we need more better fertilizer. No, it's not. There's this promise that's based on who God is. You need to come back to me, the God who can restore your life. And they hadn't done that. You, know, you can't rebuild what belongs to God. This city belonged to God. It was God's city, God's people. God's temple, you can't rebuild what belongs to God if you're not restored to God first. And for you and I, we don't worship God in a temple. We don't equate a city's walls with God's blessings. That was in the old covenant. But for you and I, in our relationship with God, we realize that uh, God's blessings to us, his real blessings, his eternal blessings Uh, will not be there if we're not walking with him. And when those blessings are not there, we look around and see things in shambles and we recognize there's something missing. And that thing that's missing is restoration to God, not a better life plan, not a New Year's resolution, not a new job, not a different wife, better kids, live in a better city, a better climate, those are all exteriors that are supposed to point to the central truth. of, You need to be connected to your maker. And so the city was in shambles because it belonged to God and they left God. If your life is in shambles because your life belongs to God. He created you. He knit you in your mother's womb. He, he formed you and fashioned you to, to become a worshiper. If you're not that, then things begin to fall apart. So restoration to God is based on who God is. It's based on his faithfulness. It's based on his love. It's based on his steadfastness. You might say, well, I thought it was based on repentance. That's a part of it. That's required. You know, go, God, you're loving, so I'm going to go over here and do all the sinning I want. You just forgive me and we'll figure it out later. That, no. Repentance is required. Recognizing who God is in light of who you are, you're going, I'm sorry that I'm, that I'm this, but I know that you're that. Repentance is coming to God and saying, God, forgive me for all of this. And forgiveness is based on God's faithfulness. Repentance can't happen if God weren't faithful. If God were one way one day, and then the next day he could be another way, you'll never know if you're forgiven. If you ask a true Muslim, do you know, do you know when you die that you'll be in heaven? They're going to tell you no. I just hope that in his great mercy, he just lets me, whatever he feels, whatever he's, However the points are tallied up, it's hard to tell, Allah knows. What what a radical difference between Islam and Christianity. It's especially at that point that Christianity is not a religion based on how many times a day you pray. Christianity is not a religion of salvation based on how many people you convert to Christianity, by force or otherwise. Christianity is a religion that's based on what God does, period. Period. It's not what you bring to the table. All you bring to the table is your dirt. And we don't have to go to John to see that. Nehemiah is showing that. He's saying, look at all this, what we have to offer. is corruption and unfaithfulness. We're, we're disloyal to you. But I know what kind of God we serve. And it's not a God that leaves us guessing. It's not a God that gets up grumpy on some mornings. It's not a God who changes the rules it's a God who's steadfast and loving all the time. So no matter where you get scattered, you can always come home. Always. Because of who he is. He's unchanging. You know, it's, it's a relationship that's based on faithfulness, and it's his faithfulness, not ours. But it's not his faithfulness to us. is not saying, God, wow, God, you're so faithful to us. He's saying, you're faithful to yourself. God is faithful to himself because he doesn't change. The relationship won't change. His What he wants in our relationship won't change. Because he's unchanging, his love is unchanging. Because he's always there, his grace is always there. Because his mercy doesn't run out. because It's because he doesn't grow old. It's, it's based on who he is. If it's based on what we bring to the table, there's going to be some months where, woo, are, you know, that's great, and then other months not. And then we wonder, am I really saved? Am I a Christian? Am I on the right path? Repentance is recognizing what you have wrong, coming to God and knowing that He'll restore you. He doesn't provide a checklist and say, well, perform this many duties or be this good, and then I'll think about it. No. He's faithful. He's always there. The prodigal son didn't have to guess. I wonder if dad's still home. I wonder if he picked up and moved. No, he knew he could go back. It was just a matter of waking up, coming to his senses, realize. look at all this mud. I'm feeding pigs. I can't even eat what they're eating. Pigs are higher than me. This is a mess of a life. My life is in shambles. What if I go home and return to my father? First thing his father tells him is he cuts off his speech. Don't start telling me you're going to start being a slave and working in my house. Here's sandals, here's a robe, here's a ring, you're my son. Not because of what you could do for me, but because I'm that kind of father. You know, I I try to think of, you know, for for them it was walls that needed to be rebuilt and a temple that needed to be reestablished. So what does it look like for us? You know, in the old covenant, if you walked with God, you'd have the city intact and the walls would be there and you'd be protected. Those are a lot of exterior things. But in our relationship with God, under the new covenant, what Christ provided, if we walk with God, there are some blessings that, that are eternal and begin now. I just want to give you some examples. If you're not walking with God, some signs that your life might be a little bit in shambles and supposed to make you wake up and realize that you're not where you're supposed to be. Maybe your marriage is in shambles because at some point you ended up realizing that love is not the same as romance. And all the books that you read and all the movies that you watch and the romantic comedies didn't end up being the real picture. And you look at your marriage and it's on the rocks, as they say, it's sinking. And it's because you, you don't really know what love is. You read Hallmark cards, but what is love, though? What really is that? Well, God is love. If you want to know what it is, it has to start with Him. You look at your life, and life has trials. It doesn't matter who you are, there's trials in your life. But some of us have been hit so hard, we don't know how to keep the will to live. You realize that there's joy missing in your life. Not the champagne-popping happiness after your favorite team wins the World Series. It's deep joy that no matter what happens in your life, there's always that will to keep going because your lifeline is not circumstances. You don't know what that's like. Your life is in shambles. Or maybe you have sleepless nights. You have some kind of inner turmoil that keeps you up at night and you lack real peace. Maybe you lack the ability to hold out for better things and it causes desperation in your life and you don't have real patience. I think of people in my life that maybe have been so jaded by unkindness. People have been so unkind to them that they become what jaded them. And now they're unkind. That's a life in shambles. You look around you and you see that goodness doesn't get you anywhere. So you show very little of it. You lack faithfulness because you can't commit to God things. You can't commit to God things. You can commit to fantasy football team. You can commit to a girlfriend. You can commit to your boss to get things done. But God things, this kind of stuff that we're talking about, you can't commit to that. And your life is a mess. You lack gentleness. You call yourself a straight shooter. Just being honest, but really you're a jerk. And no one wants to be your friend. Because you lack gentleness. And as your relationships crumble and you begin forming fake relationships, the people that smile on your face just so that you're not mean to them, but then behind your back, they really don't like you. Your life's a mess. You realize as you jot all these things down, you can't do anything about any of these things because ultimately you lack self-control. You can't say, New Year's resolution, I'm going to be kind, and just fix it. Because you don't have the spiritual self-control to fix it. You need to walk with God for that. Some of you Christian veterans realize where I got this list from is from Galatians 5. And he said, you need to walk with the Spirit. What does that look like? The fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Spirit, the result of walking with God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that are a result of walking with God. When we stray from God, those are the walls that come crumbling down. You know, I think we're, we marvel at our ingenuity. People do. I'll give you an example. When I was in Boston... A few months ago, uh, we did this tour, and I grew up around there, but I never went to Boston. I never, never walked around, looked at the sites. And as we drove around, the guide who was driving the bus explained to us that when the colonists were populating this area, that 60% of what we see and now is called Boston didn't exist. What what there was was something about the third of that size, and it was three hills. to the, To this day, there's Tremont Baptist Church. Tremont is like three hills. You know, back then there were these. Boston was had these three big hills, and they harvested the dirt and the ground from those hills, mostly flattened that out, and just pushed it out. And sixty percent of Boston is man-made. You walk on it and you're, you're standing like, this doesn't feel man made. I don't think we're going to sink. No, we're driving on it. There's highways, there's stadiums. That's amazing. We drove through this tunnel and, oh, it was just this many millions of dollars. And you get that when you go to places, New York. You know, Let's look at these skyscrapers. And you marvel at the things that we can do. We're good at doing stuff, constructing things, building things, and then we transfer that to our spiritual lives, and we say, okay, things are a mess, but I got this. I'll draw up a plan, I'll do some architectural work, and I'll fix my life. We're good at that. That's what we do. Not here. because You can't get to the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. That's why it's not called the fruit of man. It's the fruit of only what God can do. And that's just one example that I plucked from the New Testament, but the point is what Nehemiah is getting at. Nehemiah is saying... I can't get to where I'm supposed to be without you. And I know I can because of you, not because of what I can do. It's what you do. So restoration always begins with who God is. If you've been holding out, you've been derailed, you've not been really pursuing after God because you're waiting for the day you get enough energy to fix your life, it'll never happen. If you haven't given your life to God yet, because you're waiting for yourself to get to that point where you're good enough or you're strong enough or you're self-controlled enough to produce these kinds of things yourself so that God will smile, it's never going to happen. It can't happen. Salvation is by grace alone. Grace means you didn't do it. It's unmerited favor that comes only from God's goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we serve a God who's unchanging, a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that we serve a God that we don't We don't have to guess if you love us. You demonstrated that you loved us by sending your Son to die for us while we were still the corrupt, fallen people. While we were still sinners, your Son died for us. No matter what happens in life or how far scattered we are from you, we can always come to the cross and be transformed and be made whole. It's because of your kindness. It's because of your goodness. It's because of your grace that we can come home. So I pray a special prayer for those who are wandering, for those who are far off, that you would bring them home. And what an awesome homecoming it would be. And Lord, for those of us who are you know, just losing, losing that taste of your goodness and we are growing cold, that we ask that you would fire us up, Lord, so we can produce fruit that the world can see. You're alive and well and changing your people. We ask that you would continue the business of changing devastated lives to glorious lives because they came home. And we ask that you would do that by your grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.